On today's special episode, we focus on one of the most important aspects of the warrior spirit, the will to live. In this highly inspirational conversation, we sit down with Captain Josh Mance. This guy's a retired Army veteran, West Point graduate and recipient of the Purple Heart and Bronze Star with Valor. His story is magnificent. While on patrol in Iraq, a sniper's bullet severely wounded him and killed his partner. Mance was dead for 15 minutes. This warrior was fucking dead for 15 minutes. It's double the amount of time that the brain can handle without being damaged. Listen, his will to survive was there, stronger than hell. He pulled through and survived, but the best part about it, he went back five months later to fight by his brother's side. This is a story you can't miss. So many lessons that you will learn from this. Stand by. Welcome to the Man of War podcast, where we forge men into warriors and get them battle ready for the game of life. Learn warrior hacks that strengthen your mindset, self-confidence, courage, and personal protection skills. Unlock a life that embodies a warrior spirit for dynamic success in life and in business. If you're joining us for the first time, you're tuning in to the one and only podcast that empowers you to achieve greatness by living the warrior lifestyle. Each show, we interview elite men from around the globe and delve deep into their mindset and daily rituals, uncovering their secrets to success. I'm Rafa Conde, founder and creator of the Man of War Movement. Join me on this life-altering journey where we recharge your mind, body, and spirit. Hey guys, welcome back and thank you for the support you've given this podcast. It has been trending higher every single week. I am super excited here. We are just sending the message out to the right people, the right warrior-minded men out there. I'm receiving some great emails and some great feedback. This show is happening because of you. All right, on another note, if you have not done so already, please stop by iTunes, give us a review. It is so important to maintain the show in the high rankings of iTunes. That way other people can listen to what we have to say. And more importantly, this gets out to good warrior-minded men that will be able to implement what they learn in this show into their daily life. Warriorbreed.co, that is the site where you're going to look for the Warrior Development Program. It is going live on September 5th, 2017. Listen, I have put my heart and soul into creating this program. It has taken me over an entire year to format it, break it down, and finally release it. I am so excited. It is a virtual online training program that is going to take you from A to Z. It's going to give you the infrastructure. It's going to give you the framework to living a warrior lifestyle. As a member of the Warrior Development Program, every month you're going to get two virtual online training sessions delivered via video. You're also going to be able to participate in a webinar and in a Q&A session. You will also receive member-only podcasts with specific guests or specific topics that we're going to be covering that will not be released anywhere else except the membership site. More importantly, you'll be able to build a network of other warrior-minded men just like yourself, joining a specific group that you're going to get a link for that it's going to be building every single day. Listen, this is a great time to jump in and transform your life. Visit us at warriorbreed.co. All right, let's get right into this inspirational show. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Josh. First off, thank you for your service to this country. 
Hey, Rafa, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me on. Hey, anytime. It's great. We had an awesome conversation before we started this recording, and there is definitely some very, very interesting things that we were talking about. And I want to go ahead and get started with this full blast because I think our audience here is going to have, they're going to have a field day with all the information that you're going to throw our way. And more importantly, kind of get a feel of what a real warrior is all about. So if you don't mind, Josh, introduce yourself, please. Yeah, sure. Hey, everyone. My, my name's uh, Josh Montz. I was a, an infantry officer in the United States Army for about 10 years, and I'm currently the uh, founder and CEO of uh, my own company called Darker Souls LLC that helps people resolve emotionally traumatic experiences. That's awesome. So tell us about your life and how you got here today. I just want to jump into the story head in first. I have no patience here. I'm just dying to hear this story. Sure. <laughs> so, so to, you know, I, I went to West Point and, and graduated from there um, and, and then soon after was deployed to Baghdad um, during the, the height of the surge. And on April 21st, 2007, uh, we were engaged by an enemy sniper. Uh, and the, the bullets uh, actually severed the aorta of my senior non-commissioned officer and then ricocheted into my thigh and severed my femoral artery. And I, I, I went through a, a pretty bizarre progression of physiological symptoms uh, over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, uh, which I have full recollection of, um, but ultimately uh, went on to flatline for 15 minutes straight. Um, woke up in the green zone about two days later uh, to, to learn everything that happened. Uh, continued the medical evacuation process back to Walter Reed Army Medical Center, and then uh, redeployed to Baghdad uh, about four and a half months later to finish the tour with my team. Uh, and in short, after that, well, I, you know, I'd, I'd soon come to learn, although there were a lot of positive aspects about that and throughout the rest of my career, I'd soon come to learn that the experience of dying would, would pale in comparison to the decade-long emotional struggle that I'd go through as I sought to find meaning in a second life. And it's, it's the, uh, essentially the synthesis of the last 10 years and, and the concepts that I derived with respect to trauma that drives the work that I'm doing now to help other people. Oh, that's, oh, that's, a, that's a great story now. So you, let me take you back a little bit here. So you were actually dead for 15 minutes. I sure was. <laughs> it, and and I mean, is this something where, where the doctor said, hey, there's no shot that you're pretty much dead and, and that's it? No. Well, so, so to, to back up a little bit and, and take you through this experience, uh, maybe in a little more detail. Um, initially, when I was shot, uh, I started to experience a lot of the uh, physiological symptoms that, that many of your listeners might be familiar with if they've read Dave Grossman's work, like On Killing and On Combat. Of course, absorbed. Um, so, excellent, excellent. But I'm, I'm so fortunate that I, that I read that when I was at the academy uh, because what I initially experienced was verbatim uh, what he described. It was slow motion time, fast motion time, auditory distortion. Um, uh, that being said, though, I didn't know that I was shot at first. 
Um, it, it kind of felt like you're standing in an ocean wave, you know, just uh, just out past the surf. And, and you know how the ocean wave kind of picks your body up slowly and pulls you back down and then picks you up and pulls you down? That, that's essentially what the initial gunshot wound felt like. I, I knew that something was wrong but didn't know what it was. Uh, so I, I tried to pull Staff Sergeant Marlon Harper out of the way and, and started to perform aid on him uh, until my medic arrived. And that's the point where I kind of uh, fell just for a couple seconds into this brief state of, of almost subconsciousness. You know, things started to go dark. They got blurry. I could, I could only hear echoes. And I, I just started to relax at that point. Uh, it, it actually felt really comfortable. And, and then something happened that was pretty profound that snapped me out of that. And, uh, you know, my men were dragging me into the vehicle to begin the medical evacuation process. And while they were doing that, I just found myself slipping into a deeper and deeper sleep until I heard one of them scream at the top of his lungs, come on, sir, stay awake. And even in the state that I was in, I could, I could hear the emotional pain in his voice. And I, I realized at that time that, that even in this degraded physical state, where I'm, I'm essentially worthless, I still have to find the strength to do my part to help them help me. You know, I, I was still the leader of those men. And it, it, was, it was kind of the collective charge between that team that, that really snapped me back to full consciousness. Um, and then I was on the fight for my life uh, for, for the next half hour or so. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, you know, despite the best efforts of the medical team, which was just phenomenal, um, you know, I could feel myself starting to die. And when you're dying of blood loss, you're, you're essentially suffocating, right? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. The, the body attempts to pull the remaining blood it has into the chest cavity to protect the vital organs. And I can really feel that happening. Right. So it, it was really interesting that the, the blood would basically creep out of the legs and as all the blood left, they would cramp up and become numb. And when that blood creeping sensation hit my stomach, it's the first point where I realized the injury was getting out of control. Um, and probably the best way I can describe it is it felt like you're doing the hardest CrossFit workout you can think of, uh, but just couldn't stop, right? So it was a complete anaerobic pain. And, and when the feeling hit my chest, I, I consciously knew that that was it. I, I took my last breath, said my last thought, and I died. Hey guys, just a quick break in the action here. Just want to remind you to stop by manofwar.live forward slash guide to pick up your free guide titled Eight Steps to Living the Warrior Lifestyle. It's jam-packed with some great information and certainly something that you can use and implement in your daily life. Now back to the show what was your mindset was your mindset were you were were you able to focus on what was happening or was it just you were getting delirious to the point where just kind of everything was being drawn out <laughs> it's a great question you know it, it, and the answer might surprise you it, it, it's up until maybe a minute or so before i actually died um i wasn't really thinking about dying it, it was more just you're kind of in the fight for your life and you're just trying to stay conscious so there's no time to really think about anything else. But when the when that kind of blood creeping sensation hit my stomach and I, I sensed it was getting out of control, um, at, really out of nowhere, 
um, just three names started to repeat in my mind over and over and over again for that last minute. And, and that was my mom and my two sisters. And when I took my last breath, you know, I, I can tell you that the experience of dying was the most peaceful experience of my life. Um, I, I did not have like an out of body experience as if I was, uh, you know, floating over my body or, or that I saw a white light. It literally just faded to black after that last breath. But what I did experience, I was absolutely still conscious for and remember it vividly. And the, the only way that I can describe that feeling is one of absolute and complete surrender to something much greater than ourselves. And through that surrender, was the most intense feeling of peace that I've ever experienced. It, it was like every good, every bad, every positive, every negative, every doubt, every hope, it, it all just vanishes. And it's as if the spirit becomes part of everything and nothing at, at the same time. So it, it, it's almost like I was um, forced into, in a way, this absolute pure state of mindfulness or absolute state of awareness that a lot of people strive to achieve their, their entire lives when they're conscious, you know? So it was, uh, I, I really honestly look at the experience as a, as a gift, even though it took me about 10 years to really understand that. Wow. That is uh that is very interesting. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, you were in a phase or, or, or in a time, I guess it was a, an avoid where so many people try to achieve that while they live and, 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 you basically were achieving that when you were dying. It's just mind boggling. <laughs> you know, it, 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 this is more of a recent uh, realization as I kind of really started to come through the emotional healing process from this, which, which literally took a, a decade. It was, it was very covert. Um, it, it wasn't something that was blatantly obvious that I could put my finger on. But I, I recently, you know, I, it, it, I realized that, the the gift wasn't living again. You know, the gift was being able to experience that absolute pure moment. And even though I was forced into it, right, I, I, I realize now that maybe the greatest challenge of our lives or the greatest gift of our lives is to be able to achieve that same type of uh, feeling of surrender when we when we are still conscious. So it's it's a it's a pretty interesting full circle journey um, that, <laughs> that kind of wrapped up recently. Yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. So tell me 15 minutes later, you wake up, uh, they bring you back. And what are you thinking at that point? I mean, wh wh where is your head? Where is your mind? You know, it, it was, it was actually quite bizarre. You know, I mean, the, typically the medical standard, um, when most physicians will call it on a patient is usually around the six or seven minute mark after they flatline. And the reason for that is that's the point when catastrophic brain damage starts to set in. Um, but my medical team kept going for 15 minutes. Uh, they just didn't quit. Uh, and, you know, in, in fact, when I, when I went back to Baghdad about four and a half months later uh, to finish that tour, I, I got the opportunity to thank the medical team in person. Uh, and, and I asked the surgeon, you know, why did you keep working on a dead guy for 15 minutes? You know, this impossible thing. And without hesitation, he, he gave me a three-word response, we never quit. And, uh, you know, which still gives me chills to this day. But uh, bottom line is, I, you know, they expected catastrophic brain damage and I had no trace of it. 
Um, shortly after I woke up, I was explaining uh, the details of what happened in as much clarity as I'm doing right now. Uh, and I was ultimately medically evacuated to Walter Reed Army Medical Center, where I, I recovered for a couple months and then volunteered to go back downrange. So you just got out of this traumatic experience, and this was as traumatic as you're going to get it. You were dead. And you just up and go and decide to, hey, you know what? I want to go back to my brothers. I want to go back into the battlefield. What were you thinking? What mindset did you have to tell you, hey, I need to do this. I need to go forward. I need to go back to the Middle East, back into the battlegrounds. Yeah. So that's, that's such a, it's, it's really such a deep question and it's such a great one. You know, I, I had people for years ask me that question, you know, why did you go back so fast? You know, and, and to be clear, like no one in the Department of Defense was pushing me to go back. Everyone recommended against it. I mean, I was literally pulling staples out of my leg with a Leatherman multi-tool. You know, I, I was I was pulling stuff out of my medical records. You know, I was lying, I was cheating, I was stealing, I was doing whatever I had to do to get back to my men. You know, and it's in a case like that, and this is not unique to me. Um, you know, I've seen double amputees who are laying in a hospital bed asking the doctor, "When can I get back?" You know, and it's it's a very common trait in, in in kind of the warrior class. You know, there is a regardless of the the injury that I went through. Right. There, there's still a profound sense of guilt when you're not with your team and, and they're still endangered. And, um, you know, for, for years, I answered this question in two ways. You know, one reason that drove me to go back was certainly my men. Uh, you know, they lost two of their senior leaders uh, on one day with one shot. And a month later, the platoon sergeant of that unit was hit by a, a roadside bomb and, and he was medevaced out of theater. So the men needed leadership and they needed a morale boost, uh, which is a powerful motivator in itself. The, the second reason that I used to point to is, you know, I, I needed to prove to myself that I could get back on the horse, so to speak, and, and still perform my job as an infantry officer. Um, but as, as the years went on, that something was plaguing me about that, you know, that, that there, was a, there was a deeper reason there that I, that, that I was driven to go back that I couldn't really put my finger on until, you know, really going through the process of writing the book and doing a lot of deep work. And what I mean by that is I was driven to go back by guilt, by guilt. Um, and it, it, it wasn't in the sense of survivor's guilt, as in Staff Sergeant Marlon Harper died and I lived. Um, it, it, was, it was actually a guilt in my ability to heal when others couldn't. You know, and to explain that, like Walter Reed um, is the military's premier hospital. It's also the place where the most severely wounded are evacuated to for recovery. And clinically, the care that I received there was phenomenal. There, there's nowhere else that I would rather be. But emotionally, it's, it's a very difficult place to be, you know, because you're, you're surrounded by the worst injuries you can think of, amputees, burn victims, the, the impacts that's, that's having on their family. And I was one of the only ones that was expected to make a full recovery, despite <laughs> how bad my injury was and how close I came to death, right? So... The, the image that I will never forget and, and don't want to forget is I, I remember walking around a corner and seeing this, this beautiful young blonde girl pushing around her new double amputee fiance in a wheelchair. And 
it's it's an image that just riveted me. So it it, it was this strange thing of, of of this really deep guilt for being able to heal, coupled with the guilt of not being with my man, that propelled me to do something um, that was you know a lot of people considered impossible at the time. So. Well, that's a, that certainly that is a warrior mentality. That is a warrior way of thinking. Uh, you know, your men, uh, the fact that they're out there and you're not, and that just starts, you know, eating up inside of you. Certainly, I mean, that is a characteristic that the warriors have. And, uh, you know, I mean, bottom line is no matter how you look at it, you know, you were bred for this and, and you, your your desire and your drive was an internal drive that you, you're not going to change that. I mean, that is who you are. And I think that uh, you said a decade down the road, and we'll get into that now, but I'm pretty sure that that drive and that internal fortitude really carried through for, for, for you know, the next decade and, and where you are now today doing what you're doing. So let's take a step forward here. Um, so you went back and now... Tell me a little bit about what happened when you went back and, and how long you basically were in the military until you recently got out. When, when did you get out again? Sure. Yeah, I got out at the end of 2014, uh, pretty unexpectedly, actually. Um, you know, medically retired because of Crohn's disease. It actually didn't have much to do with the injury at all. Um, wow. But, it, you know, fortunately, the the and, and kind of like you said, um you know, going back to Baghdad after that, it's something that I would absolutely do again uh, without hesitation. Um, you know, the impact that that had on my team, you know, that just that selflessness, right, which I think is just such a core characteristic of, of good leaders, you know, people in the warrior class. It's, it's like that created a bond that I can't even begin to describe, <laughs> you know, when I set foot off of that plane. Uh, you know, it just meant the world to them. And, and same thing, being able to thank the medical team in person, in the flesh and blood for, for saving my life and pulling this miracle off. Um, the, the other side to that, though, is, you know, I was in such a state of mind that I, I couldn't even recognize. I wasn't even cognizant of the impact that that had on my family. You know, my, my mother literally got the phone call from the Department of Defense that said, ma'am, your son's been critically wounded. Uh, he's probably not gonna make it through the night. Get on a plane to Germany now, you know, if, 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 you, if you wanna see him again. And, and, you know, four and a half months later, I'm, I'm sprinting away from her and my family again. So I, 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 I still carry some guilt over that. I'd, I'd approach it differently, but it, it was, at the same time, my family understood, you know, they, they understood that bond. They understood what it meant. And uh, so I, I would I would definitely do that again. Um, and then really over the next couple of years, uh, my career path kind of shifted, uh, you know, <laughs> as we were talking before the show, you know, this this experience really isn't about me. You know, it, it, it's it's something that kind of flows through me. Um, the the near death experience is certainly captivating uh, to a lot of people. It's, it's a very unique experience. Um, but most importantly, it gave us a platform to really start to drive a lot of positive change uh, within the behavioral health field um, with respect to emotional trauma and, and recovering from it. Because trauma is highly complex. It doesn't discriminate. And it's not always what it seems, <laughs> you know. And um, 
you know, we can get into that as much as you want here. So when, when you went back, I mean, did you, did you kind of start realizing that the emotional trauma that you went through was also affecting other soldiers? And did you experience that a little bit more vividly now? Were you more conscious of it? Um, so th basically the journey as it, as it looked like for me and, and what was so, so bizarre about this is I was within two years of, of this injury. I was kind of pulled up onto the national speaking circuit, uh, by the department of defense. And, and you know, it was all self-driven at the same time, but it, it, not like anyone was forcing me to do it, but it was, it was 2009 was the year that the Department of Defense was getting really serious about the behavioral health challenges facing soldiers coming back from, from overseas. Um, and, and basically, I, I, we were able to leverage this, this experience to, um, you know, emotionally engage people in the story and then drive home the real message of reducing or eliminating stigma. And over the course of that, you know, I mean, I'm talking like 100 speaking engagements per year on top of the other job that I was doing uh, within the military. It was just an insane pace. Um, again, all self-driven. You know, I, I didn't care about helping one person. I, I wanted to help 100,000, you know, and and we, we had the platform to really start doing that. Um, but anyway, you know, th that that journey um kind of came to uh, I, I got awakened um about a year into that speaking circuit and and even though i was immersed in the behavioral health field i was i was presenting at some of the best behavioral health conferences in the world i was i was surrounded by clinicians everywhere i went and, and even despite that even with the knowledge that i developed in the field i still failed to recognize the symptoms within myself and a lot of that is, you know, I, I didn't have the quote unquote PowerPoint symptoms of post-traumatic stress that we hear so much about. Right. You know, I, I didn't have nightmares, night sweats, anxiety attacks. I, you know, jumpy at loud noises. I had none of that. Right. But what I was experiencing was far, far deeper. It was far more complex. And it's what ultimately I believe is the root cause of, of, of really all trauma, which is moral, spiritual, and ethical wounds, like shame, betrayal, powerlessness, and guilt. Um, so that's, unless we're really operating at that level, um, it's it's very difficult to derive meaning out of the suffering and, and ultimately grow from it. So let me, let me ask you this. So obviously being a soldier, the type of trauma, you know, that you went through, is it was a very deep trauma i mean you know shit you were you were dead for 15 minutes you can't get any deeper than that now on the on the flip side i mean for for the lay person for the person that is not a a, a fighter or a soldier tell me i mean traumas like you know child abuse traumas like that. I mean, it, it's a, what you're doing nowadays. Have you gotten to a level where you're dealing with people like that? Like, you know, civilian type traumas? I, I sure am. Um, and, and in fact, you know, when, when we, tr trauma doesn't discriminate, right? It, it comes in many shapes and forms and, and impacts all of us from every walk of life. And even though the nature of our experiences can be very different person to person, 
the emotions that manifest from them can be very similar, especially when we look at them through the lens of things like shame and guilt, which are present in, in many traumatic experiences. You know, it, it, trauma isn't always what it seems either. You know, I mean, if, if you the way, the way I define trauma is an experience or situation that fundamentally alters the way you believe the world should work. Right. And when that happens, when our, our lives are kind of flipped upside down, our perception of the world is flipped upside down. It can also kind of flip upside down who we believe we are. And, and that's the crux for a lot of the pain that people experience. In, in my case, you know, my healing process was delayed for years because there was such an overt focus on this isolated experience of getting shot, dying, coming back to life. When in reality, divorce, failed relationships, living with an incurable disease, you know, every, everything that came after that was actually much harder to navigate emotionally than the experience of dying itself, you know? Amen. Amen. I mean, it, I, I hear you there a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we had a, just a, a brief, uh, I read an article the other day. I mean, the, the fact that police officers are being killed at a monster rate here over the, the last few years. I mean, the spouses and the children that these individuals leave behind, I mean, these are monster traumas in their life. Right. And, uh, you know, they might not even be inflicted by them, you know, something that didn't happen to them physically or for that matter, even to them directly. But the fact that they lose someone, a father or a mother, I mean, these are monster traumas that they're in, in our world, in the law enforcement world, it's not spoken of right. so vividly. You know, the 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 loss that uh, those families endure is is incredibly incredibly difficult to to overcome and it's absolutely a, a huge traumatic event you know and on top of that just police work in general right it is so complex you know it's it's not about the firefights that people get in you know you know yourself like that's kind of rare that where, where you're actually discharging your weapon on the streets but, it, you know, and I grew up in a family of police and, and it, it, my father is actually the one that steered me away from law enforcement when I was a kid, you know, and it, it, it's the cumulative effect of everything you see day in, day out on the streets for police and first responders that, that has this enormous effect emotionally over time. You know, that's that's like arriving at the scene of a, you know, domestic disputes where the wife's beaten into a bloody pulp or, or the, the kids are, you know, and, and not being able to really protect or resolve that situation as you think you might be able to. You know, so, so so over time, that that's um, that has a powerful uh, vicarious effect on on uh, people as they live their lives. And the, the thing to really hold true to, like, I guess the takeaway from this right it is we as as human beings have a natural tendency to compare ourselves to others right we have the tendency to say man i i haven't been through anything like what he's been through i shouldn't be feeling this way and i'd really encourage you to to try to avoid falling into that trap because trauma isn't always what it seems and it's important to get at the root cause of what you're experiencing so you can derive meaning from it, grow from it, and then really, truly achieve a state of optimal performance moving forward. It's, it's all about the impact it has on you, right? It's, it's 
Uh, that that is well stated, man. That is that is great, Josh. Because, like you're saying, I mean, trauma it could be different for everyone, and everyone is unique in in that aspect. That that's those are good good words there. Right on. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. All right, let me uh, ask you a couple of questions sure. here. Who was your mentor growing up? You know, I, I had two big ones in high school. Uh, the first was my stepfather. Uh, so my my father died when I was seven. Mom remarried a couple years later to a police officer. And, you know, he really has become the biggest role model in my life and, and was ever since. Very fortunate. Uh, second role model was uh, when I set foot in high school, I joined a junior ROTC program. And uh, just by luck, the person running that program had just retired from the special forces. <laughs> he, was a, he was a sergeant major in seventh group running counter drug operations in South America his whole career. And this guy comes to this small town in Pennsylvania and takes over this high school junior ROTC program. And he would be landing like Chinook helicopters in the football field, taking us off to field training exercises. Oh, cool. And, oh, that's so awesome. yeah, he really kind of took me under his wing. And, and most importantly, he's the one that really uh, shaped my perception of what a counterinsurgency environment really is, right? That, that it's, it's, it's all about empathy. It's all about relationship building and to never underestimate the power of the human spirit. Like it's, it's not about resources, it's about will. So, you know, that those um, just great mentors growing up and, and, you know, even to the present day, it's, it's amazing the people that are in my life. You know, I recently um, developed a really strong friendship with Greg Amundsen, who's the, the founding athlete of CrossFit. Uh, he lives out here in Santa Cruz near me. And, and he, is, he is a guy that just defines the warrior spirit. Um, one of the most disciplined and committed people that I know. Um, and it's, it's just, I, I've, I've been fortunate to have just the right people in my life at the right time <laughs> and just couldn't be more fortunate for that. Absolutely. I mean, the type of person that you hang out with and that, uh, certainly is, uh, you can mentor you or you can look up to and kind of guide you in the right direction makes big, big, uh, it makes a big impact. Um, tell me something, what is your most I mean, I'm going to expect the answer, but I'm hoping maybe that you take me another way here. Um, What was the most difficult time in your life? (laughs) So uh, there were three very distinct suicidal spirals that I found myself in over the last 10 years. Um, Every single one of them, uh, the catalyst, not necessarily the cause, but the catalyst was a failed relationship. And uh, they, each of those three progressively got worse and worse and worse until I hit, uh, like I had thought I hit a rock bottom before and I had no idea what rock bottom was until the last one happened. Um, so it, it was the abandonment uh, associated with that, the failure associated with that is, is something that um, was extremely difficult to overcome. And, and the only reason I'm still here is, is truly because of the power of human connection, uh, because of the other people in my life who had the strength and courage to help me pull through. You know, so, so that, that, was, that was certainly an aspect um, of it. Living with Crohn's was another aspect. I mean, in, in 2012, on top of everything else, I was going through the worst flare of my life. You know, I, I lost over 30 pounds. I was 
uh, you know, having my medic come into my office and give me IVs over lunch so I could keep going. <laughs> you know, I could, I could only, um, uh, really eat like a, a six pack of insure plus a day, you know, and, and didn't want to go to the hospital. So it was, it was kind of a combination of, of all that stuff where I just, life kind of just kept, you know, it, it's like feeling like a modern day Sisyphus, you know, you'd, 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 uh, almost reach this level of peak performance and fight back and fight back. And then boom, something like Crohn's would rip you down or boom, something like a, a relationship would rip you back down and just crush you. And, and it was really just having the fortitude to somehow take that next step forward and rebuild it again. Um, and, and just having the trust and faith that, you know, finding true meaning within that suffering broadens our emotional bandwidth, broadens our perspective uh, to a level that we, we probably didn't realize was possible before those experiences. So, I, you know, all that said, wouldn't change a day of it. Wouldn't change a thing. There you go. And what was your biggest success? Biggest success, I'd, I'd have to point to, um, you know, at, at least in my military career, I, I, I would I would point to a, a very specialized uh, therapeutic support group that I developed when I was in company command. Uh, and this really required a, a true cross-sector approach where we were pulling in assets from the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. Um, we, we were uh, taking a very different approach to, to helping soldiers overcome traumatic experiences. Uh, and the impact of that group was pretty substantial um, over time. So a lot of people uh, made the decision to commit to healing, right? To, to drive through that healing process and, and, and grow from it. Uh, so, so that, that definitely be from a career standpoint, the highlight for me so far. Very nice. Very nice. I didn't know about that. Interesting. And I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all my guests. What is your definition of a modern day warrior? So I'd say that, uh, a modern day warrior must think and act greater than the environment that surrounds us. Right. And, you know, none of us are perfect, right? None of us, um, make this look easy. <laughs> you know, it, it might appear that way on the surface, but it, it requires, you know, doing that really requires maintaining a very strict practice. Um, it requires discipline, you know, being a disciple to something greater than yourself. Um, and, and that is a, that is a journey that, that practice itself is something that it, it, even in my life is continuously being improved and, and refined, you know, so thinking and acting greater than the environment that surrounds us and, and kind of giving way to all those temptations is, is something I always keep in the back of my mind. Excellent. Excellent. Give us a glimpse of your daily routine. Just, uh, you know, what you do in the morning when you get up. I mean, I like to kind of, you know, show this out to my uh, listeners so they can get a feel of what warrior-minded men do. Sure. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you, I actually follow um, or, or a, a slightly modified version of Greg Amundsen's program in his book, Fire Breather Fitness, which is truly a mind-body-spirit integration um, and, and it's, it's, you know, I, I focus on winning the morning and, you know, as, as soon as I get up, <clears throat> I start with a little bit of breath work and then I transition into a, a, 
a high intensity workout, uh, usually CrossFit based. Um, and then at the end of that workout, I integrate uh, a, a pretty brief yoga sequence, and then uh, I go into more breath work and, and meditation. And then at the, at the at the very end of that, I usually follow that up with some type of spiritual reading at, at, uh, of some kind, you know, whether that's uh, you know Buddhist teachings or scripture or or, or whatever, just just something to kind of keep that thought process going. So you're constantly just absorbing, you know, fresh, new content and just to keep you interested, to keep you motivated, um, to keep you, I guess, for lack of a better word, uplifted inside to, you know, basically get you through the day and to, like you said, get to that level of optimum performance day in and day out. Right. <laughs> you know, and I've, I've definitely, definitely come to understand, you know, it's, 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 it's so important to uh, do everything you can to commit to the practice of doing it, right? Not a routine. It's a practice. And, you know, that, that, that's something that takes work. But, you know, following that, even if it's not necessarily perfect, right, but following that allows you to really win the day and it sets the conditions for your success throughout the rest of the day. So I I'm, couldn't be more thankful to, to kind of be turned on to that and, and adopt it in my life. Very good. Very good. Now, before we close here, what advice, Josh, would you give to our listeners that want to learn to live a warrior life? You know, having the, the humility to understand, you know, and, and this is more from my line of work and, and what I do. But, um, it, you know, one thing that one thing that not only kept me alive, but really allowed me to grow over the years with respect to trauma is I, I had the humility to, to remain receptive to feedback from those around me. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is a lot of the emotional pain that I was experiencing, it, it wasn't obvious to me, um, but it was obvious to a handful of people in my lives who had the strength to point out certain behaviors that I was, I was experiencing that um, were, were indicative of a deeper problem. And, you know, even if I couldn't, completely internalize what they were telling me at the time. I didn't just reject it and say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. Right. I, I, I remained receptive to the feedback. And, and ultimately when I did hit the darkest places, those things are what I was able to hold on to in order to give me the strength to move forward. So never underestimate the power uh, that you can have on the life of someone else and never underestimate the power of human connection <laughs> and what they can have on you. So well taken, well taken, great advice. All right. Where can people reach you, Josh? So, uh, best place is to go to my website. There's a landing page on there and it's www.darkersouls.com. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where you can find the, the, the book is going to be released here in the next, within the next couple months. Uh, the title being the beauty of a darker soul, which really, really speaks to, um, you know, deriving meaning from our experiences and, and growing from them. And uh, will people be able to get that uh, book on Amazon, I assume? They sure can. It's, it's going to be on Amazon. Uh, right now, we're just wrapping up the pre-publication review process at the I control. Uh, and until I get the thumbs up from them, I can't define a publication date yet. But if you just drop your email on the website, uh, I don't spam anybody. <laughs> um, but I will let everyone know when, when the book is, is all set on Amazon. 
Very good. Guys, go there, sign up. It's going to be a great book. I'm looking forward to uh, reading it. Josh, listen, it was a pleasure having you on, and I'm looking forward to having you on again soon in this show. And my brother, if there's anything we can do here, just, you know, give us a shout. Hey, likewise. Great talk, Ralph. I really appreciate it. All right. Stay safe, my man. All right. You too. Gentlemen, thank you for spending time with us. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast so you can continue receiving your weekly motivation and framework to living the warrior lifestyle. Also, visit us at manofwar.live and subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoy this podcast and you know other warrior-minded men that would benefit from listening, please share it with them. This is the way we grow our brotherhood of select men. Last but not least, check out the Warrior Development online training program where the Brotherhood of Warrior-Minded Men continues to grow daily at warriorbreed.co. And finally, don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Man of War Movement. Look forward to having each and every one of you back on our next podcast. Until next time, remember, your journey may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest. 